Big Five Global on Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and a very warm welcome to this, our first episode of the Big Five Global podcast. I am Georgia Tolley and this series is your passport to the fascinating world of construction. Over the next eight episodes, we will be unveiling the latest trends, innovations and stories that define the industry. And of course, we are warming up to the Big Five Global event itself, where the world of construction will get together. That is taking place at Dubai World Trade Centre from the 4th until the 7th of December, and we would love to see you there. First up in our series, let's turn our attention to the tech, the know-how that will be needed to digitally transform the industry for a smarter, more sustainable future. And to that end, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by expert Christina Savian, the founder of BeWise. Now, that's an international management consultancy firm which focuses on driving technological adoption in the construction industry. Christina, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. It's very good to have you here. And I'm really going to start with quite a sort of overarching question because I want to find out how fast tech is actually transforming the construction industry. And I know that is, you know, a huge umbrella question for you to start this interview. The straight answer is it's not adopted enough. Construction still today is the least digitized industry in our society, believe it or not. The technology that is available is the same technology is available to any other industries. So it's not that there is any difference. So the challenges that we have is adopting the technology on a very, very specific very long, fragmented construction life cycle. And that really is where the challenge is. So it's not a problem of the people in charge of the construction industry not being willing to change how they work. It's not a sort of Luddite attitude. It's that the tech isn't there or that the tech is... No, the tech is there. The tech is there. It's just very challenging to adopt any type of technology. So first of all, we also need to accept that construction, the construction life cycle, it's a unique life cycle. Whereas in other industries, the traditional life cycle is one to 10 years. For us, it's hundreds of years. The procurement model going from, you know, I want to procure an asset, whatever it is a building, whatever it is an infrastructure, to from design to construction, you know, an asset management operation. It's a very, very specific life cycle. And it takes years and years and years. And as you can imagine, it's a very, very fragmented industry with thousands of people involved and kind of working in sequence. So it's a very, very fragmented industry to try to adopt any type of technology because even when you adopt it, it's never really on the entire life cycle. It's really just a lot of pocket of excellence. Another important aspect that is preventing the adoption of technology, it is a very risk adverse industry. There is not much we can do about it, right? People die building stuff. So we have to adhere to a very long list of standards and code to wherever we are building something. So anytime we want to deviate from what standards is, let's be honest, some of the standards were written in completely different ages, you know, and eras ago, they never really been updated. And every time you kind of need a lot of evidence in place 
to say that this piece of technology is really not changing anything and it's not risky and it's not basically increasing your risk. So what happens these days is very often is even the people in charge, you just go back to what you're comfortable with. And that is really when the challenge is in adopting technology. So you mentioned there it's a very fragmented industry. Are there any elements of the construction industry that that are changing thanks to technology, that that are bringing in new ways, new methods of doing things? So certainly I work across the entire life cycle, whatever is design, whatever is construction, whatever is asset management operation. I focus a lot on strategy. So what really, what is the driver for, you know, bringing innovation and technology? And uh, very often, there isn't a business case for it. Why? Because it costs more. <laughs> so whereas in the design phase, probably I would say we definitely now completely transition to do digitized design. Mm-hmm. I started from the drawing boards like 25 years ago. Nowadays you don't see that anymore. So the industry has been digitized, mm-hmm. but has not necessarily been digitalized. The other key elements is that, yes, some projects might be digitized, but then none of this digital information actually makes it to the construction site because it's still been built in a very, very old-fashioned way. Sometimes what I've seen, you might have an amazing design firm who is very, very high-tech, and very, but the construction firm, contractor in charge of a building, it's very old-fashioned. So you literally might have these perfect drawings Correct. online and, and 3D or 4D renders. And Correct. then when it gets to the construction site, someone's Correct. bringing out a blueprint and putting it on a table. Yeah, it happens all the time. And also it's fascinating. So I'll give you this example. I was in Melbourne during the pandemic. So in the middle of the pandemic, I got on a construction site on the 18th floor of what is the Victoria University, is one of the highest tall towers, education you know, facility in the Southern Hemisphere. So, you know. I go out, we try to test some amazing piece of technology, which we know we need at least two, three years of evidence to go through the safety committee. So anyway, we were really pushing the technology. And then you go on site and every single floor, you see paper drawing sticked on the wall with a lot of post-it notes. And yes, there are iPads. Yes, there are phones. Yes, there is an amazing technology available. But the reality is on site. Often you can't even rely on that because connectivity is a massive, massive challenge. What needs to happen to make the sector more technologically advanced? Is it just a question of getting all these stakeholders together and keeping them together? I get asked this question a lot on how do we actually fix the problem. I think one of the main drivers is 100%, I believe, is the asset owner. Yeah, As an asset owner, I'm the one who drives the innovation. Yeah, I'm the one who can demand. I'm the one who can say, I want more. Yeah, And you can see this. You can see this happen on in Saudi Arabia. So as you know, the vision is outstanding on what they want to do. It's very challenging for any contracts that just really basically tells you you need to deliver this to be written in a certain way that allows you for the flexibility of implementing something new as soon as it comes along. There is no specification. But unfortunately, it's uh, the results that you are getting are not what they should have been just because you didn't ask the right question. So, yes, 100% getting everyone involved, even if it's challenging, how can you get involved the asset operation that is two, three years for being 
been appointed during the design phase, ha, huh, it's challenging. And as a designer, do I really invest my time in speaking to asset management operation to know what it's going to be look like and what they want to know? Can understand. It's a very fragmented industry. Everyone works in this sequence and everyone gets really like become an expert on this part of the process. And um, it's a lot of pieces of puzzles that, you know, that are built basically together to build, you know, the asset. And it's very, very challenging to edit one of them. The only and influence some of them. The only really good example, because probably you're going to ask, okay, so do we actually have any hope? Well, yes, I was. I mean, this is the problem with with uh, artificial intelligence making the tech develop so quickly. Correct. I mean, quite literally, <laughs> in, from this year to next year, we're going to have entirely Correct. different tools. Correct. Technology is moving so fast. We don't have the time to write a manual to draw our evidence upon. So all we have to do is just, the best thing that we can do is just learn from each other, see what everyone is doing, trying to share the best practices and see if it really makes sense for us. And as you can imagine, the challenges that you have here in the Middle East are very different than Australia, very different, you know, I spent 13 years in the UK, very, very completely different market, the UK market. You know, you might be picked up on my accent, you know, I'm Italian. This is the, you know, this challenge is the most diverse industry in our society. And whereof any objects that we produce, you know, in any other industry, the life cycle is short and it's very, very defined. For us, it's different, right? And when it comes to technology, we just need to be open to take a bit more risks. How do we do this? You know, we need to pilot as much as possible. Most of the time, we don't have the time to wait for the end of the project. <laughs> so we just really need to do the best, a sh- small project or to test something and try to adopt it as much as possible. As a part of the, the work I do, I work with so many startups. Yeah? There's amazing technology currently being developed that can really fulfill a lot of needs and a lot of, you know, solve a lot of the challenges in the industry. But for these tools to really be adopted, it's challenging. They are waiting for one of the big technology companies to be to acquire them because they cannot be implemented on any big projects because the balance sheet, they have not been around for a long time. So the companies cannot really take the risk to implement something that might not be around by the end of the project, you know, it's completed. So you can immediately see how many challenges there are. Christina, thank you so much and absolutely fascinating interview there. You've just been listening to the voice of Christina Savvy and she is the founder of BeWise. Uh, really fantastic to have you join us here on this, our first episode of the Big Five Global Podcast. Now, of course, one of the biggest reasons why digitizing the construction industry is such a priority is because technology can advance the sustainability of buildings. And in fact, our next guest really does focus on that, the impact of construction and cities on the environment. And as we approach the upcoming COP28 Climate Change Summit in Dubai this year, we are looking at how we can make the industry greener. And to that end, I'm joined now by Paul Patterson. He is the CEO and founder of Elevation Sustainable building solutions. Paul, thank you so much for joining me in the studio. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks it's, for having me. Well, it's great to have someone of your expertise join us for this first episode of the podcast. Tell me a little bit more. Maybe you could set the scene for us. Why is it that it's so important that the construction industry really sort of puts the magnifying glass on itself when it comes 
to its eco-friendly credentials. Okay, well, I think uh, for me it's it's clear the construction industry, the real estate industry is responsible for 39% of total global carbon emissions. So if we are serious about achieving net zero by the dates we have set out, if we're serious about limiting the effects of climate change, then uh, addressing the carbon emissions of the construction sector is a major lever that we have to pull. And do you think the construction industry is ready to make that type of effort? I mean, that is a huge amount of carbon being produced by one sector. It is, yeah. And there's been but there's been some great um, movements already made. If you look at the green building sector, if you look at the, the movement of lead and the fact that uh, sustainability across the, across the piece has really improved a lot over many, many years. But what we're seeking to do now is to actually improve on that and make real tangible impacts um, on our goals. So, yeah, we've, we've done a lot, um, but there's more to do. And I think we can do it. Okay, so it feels a bit uncouth of me to talk about money so early in this series, so early in this interview. But is the reality that if you're trying to be green, you're trying to be eco-friendly, you're trying to be more sustainable, isn't the reality that the outlay for that is just a lot more expensive? then we are at danger of looking only at the short term instead of the long term. So this really is a whole life cycle approach. We are tasked with making a little bit more difficult decisions now in the short term for greater benefits in the long term. And if we look at how long buildings are around for, it could be 50, 60 years, you're making a little bit of investment now to perhaps save 10, 20, 30, 40% on your energy bills. The the financial case is, is there for me. Is it genuinely that? Like, I mean, obviously, you can make savings on electricity bills. You can make savings on your water bills, uh, which are very relevant, of course, here in the UAE and and other sort of hot, desert, arid countries. Uh, Obviously, air conditioning, a huge expense. Does it really balance out over the years, though? You were talking there about, you know, the outlay, meaning that, you know, you save money on electricity in the long term. You might save money on on water or on the cost of air conditioning. But some of these sort of high tech solutions that make buildings greener really are very, very expensive. I understand, for example, uh, that the concrete, you know, green concrete can be as much as double the price or even more of, of sort of normal concrete. Um, so the the number that I mentioned earlier, the 39% global emissions, um, two thirds of that is actually due to operational energy emissions. One third is due to the embodied carbon uh, as uh, as found in the construction materials. So if you think about the operational aspect, the, the interventions that you can make during a design stage, and it's it, it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's perhaps simulating your buildings better. It's it's defining the energy performance of your buildings at the very very start. And you can open up ways to save quite significant significant amounts of energy when compared to a more traditional way of designing and building. Am I right in thinking that there are already dozens of building codes, you know, obviously quite country specific, but there are dozens of codes that require construction companies to follow certain rules to make sure they are more eco-friendly. Are those not enough? So... The the way that generally the green building codes work and, and building codes around the world, they use a, a relative way of measuring uh, reductions in carbon and energy. So we will uh, compare a 12% reduction or a 20% reduction of what we would call a notional building, which is a building created with a certain level of specification. What we're talking about is using absolute terms. So similarly to how you would buy a car with an absolute level of energy efficiency, 
We want to see that buildings are designed with a certain level of energy efficiency, absolute energy, not just a relative uh, comparison method, which is the way it's been working so far. That's interesting. So you really want to bring in that sort of historical or I suppose, no, you're throwing forward. So you want to bring in the future uses of the building into how it's measured. Correct. We we want to plan. We want to say that our building that we're about to construct is going to have a very specific or a range of energy efficiency uh, credentials. And we want to then see that being the central part of the design, the central part of the build and the central part of the operation. And we want to see that number or that, that ambition to be used also to feed back into designs because we should be measuring it and feeding back as to how our buildings are actually performing once built. Are we using the right metrics now, do you think? Or is the reality that we're just not measuring things in the right way? I think it's back to the, the relative term. We aren't, uh, we aren't going down the absolute uh, level of, of energy usage intensity for buildings. And I think moving towards that, planning building energy targets against uh, an overall global ambition to limit temperature rises, I think is the way that the, the industry has to, has to move. And we have the tools to do it. It's possible to do that right now. It's just a, a little bit of a sea change in terms of how things are done. Can you give me some sort of practical examples on how the construction industry could become more eco-friendly? You know, if you're, if you're running a construction company, what should be top of your agenda when you're going, oh dear, the focus really has fallen on us now. You know, the magnifying glass is out. We've got COP28 coming up at the end of uh, November, beginning of December, and everyone is required to sort of account for their carbon output. The time is now. How can I make things greener? We're really looking forward to digging into this type of question at the Big Five Global Leaders Summit happening uh, in December. So it's definitely time to move from simply pledges into action. The way I like to frame it is from the energy, from, from a hierarchy of intervention, so to speak. So if it's a designer, perhaps they're looking to reduce, uh, reduce the actual need for energy. If you're a builder, Perhaps you're looking at ways to remove carbon from your materials. That could be low-carbon concrete. That could be perhaps asking, do we need suspended ceilings? Do we need all this material in our buildings? Are there any alternatives to actually reduce the amount of carbon and the amount of energy needed uh, to construct our buildings? Uh, And if we're building engineers, we're perhaps looking at ways to improve the efficiency of the systems and services that we are installing. Uh, Wrapping it all up, when I mentioned uh, technology, is the ability to measure, verify and use key metrics in order to again feed all that information back into into the process. Now you deal with people from every single section of the construction industry and of course those are the type of people that are going to be coming to the Big Five global event in Dubai. Do you think every single section of this industry is ready, is primed to make this required transition to become more sustainable? It's a challenge. Uh, I think we do have some skills shortage, which I think like most most industries have. Uh, so there is work for us to do in order to bring talent back into the industry, which may have left uh, post, post-COVID post perhaps. So do we have the tools? I think we've got the tools, but I think we just need to focus our efforts and really plan plan the way forward and uh, yeah, make some progress, as I say, action rather than pledges.
Paul, thank you very much indeed for your time. Really fantastic to have you join us here in the studio. Uh, That was Paul Patterson, CEO and founder of Elevation Sustainable Building Solutions, speaking to us here on our very first episode of the Big Five Global Podcast. Now, I would say uh, this is our first episode. We have seven more to come. And make sure that you subscribe and download every single week. Coming up in our next episode, we'll be discussing sustainable project management and the pursuit for energy efficiency in net zero cities of the future. I'm looking forward to it. Big Five Global on Dubai Eye 103.8.